This is a new and strange environment at first, suddenly finding yourself in orbit. Neville Andrew Mara, and this is Never Normal, a show about breaking free from the boring default plan and living life on your terms instead. Niall, welcome back to Never Normal. Thanks for having me back, Neville. You are the first ever two-time guest, so Oof, pressure's that's saying on. something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're invited back because... Um, I well, one I always enjoy our conversations, but I think last time we, um, in part one of this, we we covered sort of your origin story and some of the adventures and kind of missions you've had along the way, but we left off just as we had gotten to talking about your business now, eBizFacts, your website, um, and how you had sort of, well, I would say, kind of finally found your groove with affiliate marketing, right? You had gone on this kind of uh, almost 10 year quest of building a business online with some ups and downs along the way. But you just released your October 2020 finance report. Um, and I think you earned something like $17,000 last month or a little over that. So congratulations on that. Well done. You're now consistently earning well over $10,000 a month, which I know was sort of like a milestone. It's um, it's taken longer than expected to get there, nearly nearly 10 years, as we said. So I'd love to just start by digging into maybe what you've learned kind of along that path, you know, from the, what do you, what do you know now, 10 years in, that you sort of wish you knew at the beginning that would have helped you get there a little bit faster? The biggest thing is I, I wish I'd, I'd taken freelancing more seriously in the beginning, which sounds weird because that's not how I'm making money now. But I feel like it took me so long to get like to 10K a month consistently because I was looking for shortcuts and I was looking for, I was trying to uh, do more difficult online businesses and trying to build more complex online businesses before I'd kind of had some good success with the basic stuff. And the basic stuff really is just freelancing or a remote job. But for most people, I think freelancing is, is the way to go because you can just learn so many skills as a freelancer and it, not to think of it as like, this is what I'm going to do forever, but it's, it's a really good bridge business to steal a, a term I've heard Sean Ogle use. Um, Sean Ogle from Location Rebel, he calls it a bridge business. That's, it helps you build the skills, build the confidence and build a bit of a financial cushion. So then you can uh, invest more time and energy into building a more like passive income business. But if you try and go straight into the passive income, the businesses with passive income potential, I just see a lot of people failing if they don't have that kind of those fundamental skills, that kind of experience of running a freelance business, dealing with clients, figuring out how to deliver value and just consistently bringing in income that way. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It's um, and it's something I've I've seen you write about before and I've heard as you as you mentioned kind of from others this idea of a bridge business. It's almost counter to some other kind of common wisdom that's out there, which is, you know, don't sell your time uh, or get away from that as quickly as possible because it's a trap. Once you sell your time, you're sort of you're just always chasing that next billable hour and you're never sort of building something that is 
well, you mentioned passive income, but just the, like Jack Butcher, the visualized value guy, you know, he talks a lot about build once, sell twice. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's shorthand for what we all know that if you want to build a, like a scalable, sustainable business, it has, you have to be earning money by doing something other than just selling one hour at a time, which is sort of the definition of freelancing. How does one, if freelancing is a great way to get started, how do you make that switch or how do you not just end up getting stuck freelancing forever? Well, the key thing is to use freelancing uh, to build skills. So freelancing is great because you can start earning pretty quickly. I mean, if I told somebody, go away and build a dropshipping business versus I tell somebody, go away and build a freelance business, the freelancer is way more likely to be earning like $1,000 a month soon, sooner rather than later. Now, it's not going to be able to scale as much, but the dropshipping business might never even get to $1,000 a month because many of them don't. So you want to be learning and earning from your freelance business. If you're just earning and you're not really developing any skills along the way, then it's gonna be really hard to transition into something more scalable. But if you think of it in terms of, like I tell people this all the time because I write a lot about affiliate marketing and I get people say, emailing me saying, oh, I want to build an affiliate marketing business. How do I do it? And they're usually brand new to working online, have never built a business. And the suggestion I usually have for them is, why don't you go to somebody who has a successful affiliate business and offer to work for them? So offer to write articles for them, offer to do SEO for them. You might have to take some courses first. You might have to build those skills to at least a, a baseline first, uh, but you could offer to do uh, some kind of virtual assistant work for them, project management, whatever it is. And when you do that, you're freelancing, but you're learning how a successful affiliate marketing business operates because you're working with someone who has that kind of business. You're going to learn um, way more doing that while you're earning money than going straight into building your own affiliate marketing business and trying to figure everything out yourself. Or like, even if you have a really good course, it's still not as good as working in a success, an already successful business and being able to like pick the brain of the owner and see why they make certain decisions, see how they actually are building yeah, and running the business. Yeah, that I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, that's intuitive to me. Like, you know, find someone who's already who's already doing it or someone who's got it figured out and learn from them, I think is great advice. Obvious, but not often followed, if you know what I mean. It doesn't need a lot of explaining, I think. I didn't even follow it myself. Like, that's a big mistake I made. So yeah. when, I'm, when I'm saying this, I, I know from experience that I would have um, achieved that kind of like 10K mark way faster if I had done this myself back in the day. But I was yeah. I was like too fiercely independent and too like, oh, I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to get out of freelancing. I don't want to be paid by the hour. And because of that attitude, it actually hurt me because I had to kind of figure everything out on my own instead of just going to like established entrepreneurs and saying, hey, I'll basically do whatever you want. I have these skills. Maybe I could help you with this. Um, you don't have to pay me a lot. I could even start off at a low rate and prove myself. And if I had done that, I, I would have been way further ahead or I would have gotten to that 10K a, a month mark yeah, way sooner. And, and maybe this is just another way of saying the same thing, but a little bit by analogy. When I was, for some reason, out of all the things we did in school, this is one of the ones that stuck with me. It was probably like third grade or second grade or something like that. There was this computer program that we did and it was part of a science class and it was oh, this was like Oregon Trail kind of like era of computer programs so like very simplistic but we were growing plants it was in, in this computer program and you had like three variables and it was like sunlight water and I don't even remember what the third one was let's say it was like soil or something like that and you could sort of adjust those three and and then see like you know in, depending on which your ratios of sunlight to water to whatever 
you know, where did your plants like grow the best? Like, which, how did you get the most tomatoes or whatever? And the takeaway wasn't supposed to be like the perfect ratio. The takeaway was supposed to be this idea that like you have a hypothesis and then you adjust like one variable at a time so you can see what's actually doing it. Um, and, and this is a roundabout way of saying, I think a lot of us, when we first start on this path to like online entrepreneurship, we go into a new industry in a new type of business, doing a new type of work and like a new setting, right? So working from home or working independently rather than part of a company. So we're sort of changing every variable at once. And so you don't know, is this business a good idea? Is this industry a good industry to be in? Am I any good at copywriting? Uh, do I have the discipline to work on my own? Like all of those are variables. And so it makes it very hard to sort of incrementally improve or to even see, like you might be a great copywriter and you might be, uh, doing a great job and you might have picked the right platform, but you're in an industry that just is very difficult, for example. And so by modeling someone who's, whose work or whose company or business website, whatever is already successful, you're sort of eliminating some of those variables. Or to, to go back to the, your, your kind of first point about freelancing as a way of getting started, the simplest thing I think for a lot of people is just to freelance doing the same type of work they were already doing. It's not as glamorous as like, burning all your bridges and starting something completely new. Uh, but it at least takes some of those pieces out of the equation, right? Some of the variables out where you, you already know how to do the type of work. Maybe you already have a network or some credentials and now you're just like, okay, how do I sell this work? Where do I find clients? Like those are the skills that you're learning as opposed to something completely new. Yeah. That, that with freelancing as well, like if you go into it with a skill, which, which I did, I, I, uh, my last nine to five job was as a web designer. And so I had this skill that I could easily freelance. And then the only thing I really need to learn is selling that skill. So how to find clients um, and how like serving those clients is the same as serving my old employer in my nine to five job. So it's really just the selling part that I need to learn, which isn't that difficult. Um, but if you want to start a dropshipping business or an affiliate marketing business or a software business, there's so many more skills you need to learn. You're going to need to learn uh, a lot about project management. Uh, if you want to do affiliate marketing, you've got to learn about SEO, content creation. And even in SEO, there's all these, you know, bits and pieces you need to learn and kind of uh, subtopics you need to know about. Um, there's just It just gets way more complex. So freelancing has the benefit as well of just being a, a much simpler business model and therefore it's easier to actually uh, earn a living from it and you can do it much faster than with these more complex businesses that take a long time to figure out and to actually get uh, up and running yeah, properly. And I think something that's also sort of baked into freelancing is typically you're you're doing something freelance that you know there's demand for like you mentioned web development you're not like inventing an entirely new industry I know you know for me going back on my own journey almost everything that I tried along the way wasn't like, you know, oh, this thing works. Let me do, you know, let me copy this business or work for somebody else. It was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if such and such service existed? And there's no market for it. It's just something It's like, you know, like starting Facebook or something. To me, that was always more glamorous. And there were social networks before Facebook. But still, it was this idea of like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg invented this thing that, you know, one day we'll all be connected but starting that type of a business is very different than the kind of path that we're talking about of of like building your skills over time. Do you see 
Well, let me back up. You, you recently published a, a framework kind of in a similar vein of um, Nathan Barry, the, uh, the founder of ConvertKit's Ladders of Wealth, sort of drawing a line between these various types of online businesses and how one might progress from one to the next. Do you see those all sort of on like a, a continuum, like something like freelancing to, you know, building uh, an empire, let's say? How do those how do those fit together? I wouldn't say they're exactly on a continuum, um, but the, the way I have it broken down is in the framework is 19 types of online business. And there's six. I broke those into six levels. So level one is like the easiest, but you're not really going to make a living off it. You'll probably just earn a bit of pocket money. So that's doing stuff like survey sites, um, contests online or spec work where it's just not a really reliable sense of in or source of income. So that would be something like a, like a logo design where you're like submitting a, submitting to a contest, something like that. Yes, exactly. Where, you know, I've, I've reviewed some of those sites and you can actually like, uh, scrape a lot of the results on them. And you can see that compared to the amount of people on those sites, it's only a tiny minority that are actually earning like a decent living from it. So the odds that you're actually going to make a living from those is just you know, it's, it's, it's tiny. Um, so again, I wouldn't recommend going that route unless, you know, you get a buzz off contest and you're not really relying on it to pay the bills. You know, it can be fun. It can help you build a portfolio, but it's just not a reliable way to make money online. So that's like level one stuff. Uh, level two is what I think where most people should start if they want to actually earn a living online sooner rather than later. And that's freelancing or a remote job. So they're pretty standard remote jobs, just like a regular office job, but you're doing it from home or from anywhere. Um, whereas with freelancing, it's kind of the same thing, except you don't have one employer, you have multiple clients. Yeah. And so just to pause briefly there, I think one thing the pandemic has taught a lot of people who have sort of unwittingly or or not necessarily with the, set out with a goal to make money online, but who just had a regular office job and, and became remote workers is that, you know, suddenly working from home um, or making this transition to where you're not working from an office, there are some different skills involved in terms of just motivating yourself or staying. I mean, I think you can be much more productive working from home, but it requires a very deliberate approach as opposed to there's something with that physical separation of like when I'm home, I'm at home. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. And in a lot of cases, you're sort of just being paid for, for being there. I'm not saying people are not doing real work at the office, but no one's necessarily like measuring every minute of your day and saying like, were you on task this minute of the day? The assumption is like, if you're here from nine to five, we're paying you from nine to five. And if you're not doing the work well, you know, you could get a new job or something. Whereas when you're working from home and especially if you're freelancing, it's almost like being like an Uber driver or something where no one's just paying you to randomly drive around. Like you're only as good as those, you know, minutes when you've got somebody in the car. A lot of us have realized working from home during the pandemic that like, yeah, again, those are skills and that there's, and, and all the different things that you have to learn. Even, like a remote job, even though, even if you're not building a business by working remotely for someone else, you are building sort of habits and discipline and learning about yourself and how you how you work best. Like, do you need to get out of the house and go to a co-working space or something like that? Is it enough just to have like a separate desk or a little office in your home or just all those kind of th things we all find are sort of ways of, 
of making it work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I sometimes forget that, that it can be, you know, because I went through that transition so long ago and it wasn't that hard for me. Uh, I think it, it's harder for people who are much more extroverted because a lot of what they love about regular nine to five jobs is the water cooler, you know, conversations and that kind of stuff. But thankfully now, especially with the pandemic, it ex it's accelerated uh, like all these different tools that you can use to be more in contact with your colleagues and, and check in throughout the day. So it is getting better for, for people who, who might struggle with that, the kind of isolation of it all. Yeah, but even people like yourself, um, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's burnout. You know, it's like if there's no separation between work and home, it's too easy to just never stop working and never feel like you're yeah, off. True, true. I haven't even figured out that part yet. I still have the occasional yeah, I, burnout. I read uh, I read your mementos, so I, I know from time to time, like, you know, you, you have a day that's just like, you know, nothing went according to plan today and that's okay or whatever. These are all, I think, just things that we deal with on on this path. Uh, but back to your framework. So we I think we covered level one and two. Yeah, and then from there, it just gets, um, uh, like, you go into level three, we're talking about an agency, which is kind of like a freelance business, but you just have more contractors doing the work on your behalf and you're focused more on project management and sales. Or, you know, some people build an agency and they can be completely hands-off if they're very good at putting a team in place. Um, then there's like referral businesses, resale businesses, and we're kind of getting into uh, affiliate marketing type stuff. Uh, resale is, you know, you buy something for one price and resell it at a higher price, sometimes in a different country, but you can do a lot of that online now. Level four beyond that is uh, creating digital products. So everything before, you're not actually creating a product. It's more service-based or reselling or referring people to existing products. Um, whereas now at level four, you're either creating your own digital product or the other type of business in level four is an authority business, which is really building your own audience online. So classic example is YouTubers or Instagrammers where it's not necessarily a product or something that they're selling. It's it's more a personality or a brand that people are drawn to and they can and that can be monetized in various ways. Would that be like a blogger as well? Can be a blogger. I mean it, what I, my my site now kind of started off level three, which is just a referral site. So you're just getting traffic from Google and then you're trying to point them towards like good products or services and you earn a commission. But as you grow your audience and you actually have a, a bigger following via email or social media, you become more of an authority business where now people are kind of checking back in because they like the brand and not they, it's not just they've found you once via Google and they don't even remember your website. They never come back. Yeah, David... Uh, Perel, who runs the um, Rite of Passage course online and is, I think, a, a big advocate of the value and benefit of, of writing online, talks about this idea of building your own personal monopoly, which I think is a good way of putting it, where it's like, you know, we're in, we're in this era where it's so easy to comparison shop and check prices across multiple places. And, and a lot of things have become commodities in a way. I don't care, you know, what brand of monitor I have. I just check a few different specs. And like, as long as it meets the requirements, I'll just buy the cheapest one that's available on Amazon Prime or something like that. And that's happened for, you know, a lot of different products in different industries. But as a as an authority, as you're describing, what you really want to do is not be interchangeable with anybody else, right? And when you think about kind of celebrities, that's the perfect example, right? So someone gets paid, you know, $20 million to, to play a part in a movie. Well, sure, you could find some other actor, but it's just not the same. Yeah. And I mean, to underscore again, the kind of the different levels, like someone who goes straight into, I want to be a YouTube star, 
and that's their first online business, that's really hard to pull off. Um, and that's why I call it like a level four business to tell people like, you know, there's other levels uh, before that that are much easier because to become a YouTube star, you've got to, there's all these different skills you got to pull together. You have to be creative to come up with great content. You have to be able to actually present that content in an engaging way. You have to be good at editing. And again, you can hire people to do this, but then you need to be good at hiring people. You need to be good at managing those people. Um, or you just need to have a, like a, a bigger budget quite often for these type of businesses to succeed. Uh, someone like Mr. Beast, who I was looking at recently, I mean, he was plugging away for years before he broke through and he spent a lot of money and put a lot of time into it. And that's usually the case with these type of businesses. As you go up the levels, it's going to take a lot more time, energy or money to succeed. So would you suggest then that somebody, because I think for for this kind of current moment in time, what you're describing as these level four businesses are, I would say pretty glamorous or at least appealing to a lot of people, especially a younger generation, right? That sees, you know, you have this like traditional career path, nine to five office, boring, doesn't really ever get you anywhere besides maybe retired someday. And then you have like, you know, YouTuber authority figure, you hear about people who make millions of dollars a year posting videos, which are a lot more complex and difficult behind the scenes than maybe they look at first, but they still have this kind of like, hey, this is my daily life. Like it seems very different than, you know, law school for a bunch of years and all of that. It's just posting videos about doing your makeup again on the surface. So I think, again, that's very aspirational for a lot of people right now. But you're saying that's not a that's not the easiest kind of place to start. So for, for people who want to create that type of what you're calling a level four business, is it is the path to sort of work your way up levels one, two, and three first, or to just know that it's going to be more difficult because of what they're trying to achieve? How does that like how do how does someone take this framework and kind of apply it to their journey? Yeah, you can you can take either approach. So you can just go straight into I want to be a famous YouTuber. But just acknowledge the fact that, okay, I'm trying to climb a pretty big mountain here right out of the gate without having ever climbed a mountain before. And so it's probably going to be a very steep learning curve. Um, and it's probably going to take a long time for me to actually break through. And it, uh, it's probably going to require a lot of, possibly a lot of money or a lot of energy. And sometimes those are interchangeable, you know, because if you can't throw money at it, you can just throw more time into it and do more things yourself. So... You know, I'm not telling people not to go that route. It's totally fine as long as people have the right expectations that, hey, this might take like two or three years before you can even, you know, be making a, like a decent living off of it. The other route, which I think is is better, is to go more like the, the freelancing. So you kind of figure out, okay, my eventual goal is to become a YouTube star. What are the skills that I need to make that happen? And you might realize... Okay, I need to become good at video editing. So maybe I could take a course on video editing. Maybe I can approach some already successful YouTubers and offer to edit their videos at like a low rate at first. And then I can gradually um, take on more clients and increase my rate. I'll get expo or get experience working with them, seeing the kind of choices that they make, seeing how they want their videos edited, seeing what works for their audience versus what doesn't. Then maybe I can learn a little bit about YouTube SEO. I can maybe freelance a bit of that. And all the, all the while, they can be building their own channel on the side. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it at all. But everything they learn from freelancing, they can then pour back into their own project. They're applying things that are tried and tested by, better, by people better than them and more experienced than them. 
Yeah, and again, when you when you say it like that, because on the surface it sounds a little bit counterintuitive. Like you know, if you want to become a successful YouTuber, you should freelance first. Doesn't doesn't strike me as inherently obvious. But when you say it like that, that oh, if, if you know this idea of an apprentice, right, which has existed for centuries, where it's like if you want to become a blacksmith, you know, you should hang out at some blacksmith shop and you know do his grunt work, and not only will you maybe get paid a little and learn some of the skills, you'll also be able to watch and see like, you know, who are the customers who come in the door? Or, you know, what type of metal is he buying? I have no idea what a blacksmith learns, but you get the idea. Um, you mentioned uh, just in the, in that the, the possibility of taking a course to learn a skill uh, in addition to, you know, freelancing and sort of practicing as you go. And a lot of the content on your website these days is actually reviews of online courses, most of them related to this idea of making money online or building a successful business. Uh, would you suggest these types of courses as a good place to start for someone who's new to this? Or how do you think about that? It, it kind of depends on what you want to learn. Some stuff you can easily learn for free online. I mean, if you want to learn, well, I was going to say copywriting, but there are some very good copywriting courses out there. Uh, I think Probably for, for most things, it works that you can learn everything you need for free. It's going to be pretty scattered around the internet. You're going to get a little piece from this website, a little piece from that website. There might be a good free course on YouTube, but it doesn't go super in-depth, but you get a bit from that. If you find a really good paid course, the advantage usually is that everything is in one place. It's very well structured. Again, this is if it's a good course. There's a lot of bad courses out there. But it's very well structured, and it takes you through it step-by-step. Step. And often there's a community aspect so if you get stuck, you go into the community. There's people in there who are very experienced and knowledgeable, and they can speak to your specific sticking point and show you how to get out of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've taken courses over the years that I've benefited from. I've spent a lot of money on courses that I didn't benefit from. Sometimes it was the fault of the course. Sometimes it was my fault because I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, so, yeah, courses, what I would recommend to people, if they're not sure what they want to learn, don't go spending a ton of money on a course unless it has a, like a, you're very confident in their refund policy. Uh, I think a good approach is to go to something like Udemy, wait till they have a sale. You probably only have to wait a week because they do sales almost every week. And just buy, like say you want to learn web design, buy the three most highly rated courses on web design if you buy the, the top three on Udemy during a sale, it's going to cost you 30, 40 bucks. And then you can go through them. They're usually not very long Udemy courses. You could probably go through the three courses pretty quick in a weekend and then decide, okay, I kind of I know in general what this is about and what the important things I would need to learn, what those are. Do I want to go deeper into this? And if so, if you feel like you haven't gotten enough from those courses, then you can go and invest in like a more expensive course. I think that's the, the safest way to do it. So you don't end up spending a ton of money on like really expensive courses without even being sure if that's what you want to get into, if it's going to work for you. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think I was, um, I don't want to say I was anti-course, but I was very skeptical of online courses for a long time. And mostly because I just sort of felt that the information was generally available for free. It's like, why do I need to pay when I could just Google this stuff? And, and if you tell me, like, you know, say copywriting as an example or editing a YouTube video, like punch either of those into Google and you'll get about a billion and a half results. And there'll be some phenomenal articles that'll, you know, teach you a lot more than you knew going into it. 
And I, I think it actually comes down to just, at least for me, the, a, a different understanding of what you're paying for with a course. You know, when I think when we think of education and all that, we think, oh, we're, we're paying for access to knowledge. But with the Internet, it's it's all out there, like whatever it is, I don't know, nuclear physics, like guaranteed you can find it for free online. And in many cases these days, you can find it for free from the likes of, you know, MIT, Stanford, Harvard have all put course material online for free. So that's not what you're paying for. I think with an online course, you're you're paying for a combination of somebody has laid it out for you. Like you should learn this step one, you should do this exercise to put that knowledge in practice. Step two, then you should learn this step three, like someone has created a sequence rather than you just Googling a bunch of random stuff and learn, trying to learn. And, and you're like, you're not putting things in an order that's going to be easy for you. And you're having to figure all that out as you go. Uh, but in many cases, I think what you're paying for is almost just the accountability. The fact that you've spent you know, especially for the expensive courses, you know, a few thousand dollars just makes you more likely to show up. Like you've, you've invested in this, you've got a, a group of other people who are going through the course in many cases with you. And that gives you this sense of like, okay, I've, I've, I'm not just dabbling in the idea of copywriting. Like I've spent $4,000 on this copywriting course and I'm going to become a copywriter. I think just making that purchase almost like flips a switch in your mind for, for at least for a lot of people. Yeah, um, it does make people take it more seriously. Uh, not all the time, but I think you're right about that. You've um, you've also created a course yourself, and now you've reviewed uh, many, many other courses and, and been through many courses. What have you learned along the way? If you were to go back and, and create another course, what have you seen that makes, you know, what makes a great course great or, or makes the students more likely to succeed? I think that the main mistake I made with my course, kind of coming at it from the course creator angle, if anybody's interested in that, uh, I don't think I had a big enough audience when I created and launched my course. Um, so if anybody out there is thinking of creating a course and they think they're really knowledgeable on this topic, but they have no following online, I think that's that's tough to actually succeed with that kind of business. You're, you're better off building an audience first and then creating a course with feedback from the audience as you go to make sure that they actually want what you're what you're putting together. Uh, but in terms of what makes a good course from like a student standpoint, is is that more what you were getting at? Both. I think I think what you just said is extremely relevant. But I'm also interested in hearing from the other side. I do like when there's a community aspect. Uh, like you said, information alone. Um, if that's you, you can get that pretty easily for free, although if a course you do want a course to be well structured and well thought out, so everything it, you know you're, it's not just all dumped on you in, at once. Um, so the best courses are usually broken up into modules and lessons, but but done so very consciously, and they don't give you too much too soon. Uh, and there's a nice sense of progression as you go through the lessons. Uh, but that's just one aspect of it. Another would definitely be the community. So they'll, they'll never have everything you need to know in the lessons. There's always going to be unique stuff for you. For you. So you want to be able to go into a community and ask uh, people in there who are knowledgeable, um, not just the course creators, ideally. Uh, some of the best courses I've signed up for, it's usually other students who are just way further ahead who provide the most value in those those groups, those communities, by just sharing what they've learned, what they've been through. Oh, hey, yeah, you're having this issue. I had something very similar. I mean, I had a, I had a problem with my own site last year and being able to go into a community 
um, attached to a course that I'd bought. Hearing someone say, oh, yeah, don't freak out. This ha has happened to me several times. It's not the end of the world. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should check. Like that is that was super helpful. And that's just not something you can get like in the comments of a YouTube video, for example. Yeah, you actually couldn't have segued better because the next question I had for you was actually how important is community? But I, will, I think we'll circle back to that a couple of times on, on the idea of a community within a course. I think you hit one of the major benefits, which is learning from other students, right? Because it's just more people are going to have had more experiences. There's a higher chance that someone else has been through what you're going through, exactly as you described. I think there's also that same accountability benefit where, you know, I mean, like if you're sitting in a classroom, like think back to school and there's 30 other people in the classroom and they've all done the homework and you haven't, like that's, that's never a good feeling. So just that, like we're all moving through this together, adds some value to just keeping you on track, right? Because I think maybe it's, it's an unspoken thing here, but when it comes to online courses, I think there's a, there's a huge percentage of people and course sales where someone buys a course and then never either doesn't start it or doesn't end up finishing it. So just that bit of like, getting through all the lessons and doing the work is um, is probably the biggest like failure point for most of these courses. The other benefit I think of having a community that I've only come to realize more recently is I took I took one of Seth Godin's Akimbo workshops. He has a, a bunch, he has the Alt MBA, which is like his flagship expensive sort of bigger. And then he has a bunch of smaller ones on, I think writing, storytelling, podcasting, like various kind of creative practices. I'd looked at these forever and I've been getting his emails forever and I sat on the fence for a long time and I finally bought one of them. And the first day that I logged in, I'm like, this is a joke. Like I regretted buying it. And when I started going through the lessons, they're so short. Like they're a, seriously five minutes, but it's one every single day. There's a lesson every single day and there's an assignment out of each one. And the assignment almost invariably is like, go do something and then post about it in the group. And I said, okay, fine, I'll give it a shot, right? I bought the course before I go ask for a refund or whatever, I'll give it a shot. And I did the first few things. And what I realized is that the thing that's holding most people back is in this particular case for like a creative thing like that is the fear of showing up, right? It's not the knowledge. It, you could, again, it's like podcasting. You could Google everything you need to know about what's the best podcast microphone. How do you record? How do you edit the audio? Like 30 seconds and you'll find the answer to all these questions. What you won't find is someone saying, yeah, you're afraid, but go record it anyway. Like, like make the recording. Yeah. You don't like the sound of your voice. Do it anyway. Post it here, you know, get feedback from five other students who are going to tell you, you know, oh, you should slow down a little bit, or I really liked the part where you did this. And, and so forcing you to show up, but then also giving you sort of a safe space where like, you're not putting something out to like the entire internet and it's going to live there forever as your first step, but you kind of, it, it gets you in that practice of showing up every day. That was a, a major benefit to me from that course. The lessons didn't matter. Just having a bunch of other people who were there who were giving me feedback. And then the last point on this, being required to do the same for them. Because I think when, whenever we learn something new or try something new, there's, there's a tendency for our ego to get in the way a little bit where we're, you know, sort of afraid to look bad, or we just can't see that we're making a certain mistake or having trouble with a certain thing. But we can really see it when it's somebody else 
And so being forced to give yeah. someone else yeah, feedback, that's... right? You tune into these things. And you go, oh, maybe, maybe I'm doing that too, right? This person is uh, is speaking too quietly or is um, whatever, going on too long, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And uh, and then you you hear them doing it and then you start to think, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I'm doing the same thing. And if you're just if you're just doing a course by yourself, you don't get any of that benefit. Yeah, those are those are great points. I mean, what you're really doing there by giving other people feedback is you're you're honing your own taste, and that informs your your work. Then, and what you said about the safe space as well is, yeah, that's absolutely true. Because a lot of people, if you, if you've never really put stuff out there before, if you've only just worked nine to five. It's very intimidating. Put out your first podcast, put out your first YouTube video. So yeah, having having those kind of private communities where you can get that feedback and get specific pointers on how you can improve. So your your first foray out into the real world when you first publish something for everybody, it, it's going to be much better than it would be otherwise. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe getting a bit philosophical, but but there's a quote something along the lines of like the opposite of love isn't isn't hate, it's indifference. And I, f- I feel like that applies with, with a lot of this stuff on the internet where, you know, maybe people are afraid, yeah, they're going to go post that first YouTube video that everyone's going to say some nasty comment or something. But chances are that's not going to happen. What's going to happen is just no one's going to watch it, right? By default, it's going to get zero views or maybe your mom. Um, and that's it. Whereas, yeah, having a, a sort of community where you can say to these people, you know, hey, all 30 of us are creating a YouTube video for the first time. Here's my first one. What do you think? And you'll actually get some replies. And, you know, communities, it varies a lot. I mean, I've reviewed a lot of courses and just because they have a community doesn't mean it's it's a good community. Often they're just, there's nobody in there or the people that are in there are just spamming the community. So that that's why one of my, one of the things I always look for in a course, especially if it has a high price point, is that refund policy. And I know there's there's good arguments to be made for not having a refund policy because it kind of forces people to take it more seriously. There's arguments to be made for like an action-based refund policy where you have to show you did the work before you can qualify for a refund. But personally, it's it's a much more of a, a of a thumbs up for me if a course just has a no questions asked like 30-day refund policy or two weeks or whatever it is, but enough time for someone to get in there, properly evaluate the course, see like, is this for me? Test out the community, see if they're getting the kind of responses, the kind of help they want. And if not, they can say, yeah, uh, this this isn't for me right now. So I just get my money back and I haven't wasted any money. I've invested a little bit of time, but at least I haven't, I haven't wasted any money by, by giving this a shot. So that's always something I look for. Yeah. And we've, I mean, we've come at this from a, a little bit of a different angle now, but as I said, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is actually about community because I think when you and I sort of started down this journey, it was a pretty lonely path. Like there, there really was, I mean, there were other digital nomads and certainly other online entrepreneurs, but I didn't really feel like there was some sort of gathering place for us. Now you've got co-working spaces all around the world. Uh, you've got these communities that have popped up in places like Bali, um, Medellin in Colombia, uh, Lisbon in Portugal, and, and plenty of other cities around the world where you've got this kind of just like hubs where there's a lot of people who are who are on this path, who are hanging out in those places. And then you've got all the various online communities, places like Indie Hackers, um, Product Hunt. Uh, you've got your own online community as well on Facebook, the Freedom Business Builder Group. So just coming back to this, then how how important do you think community is for somebody starting out? Like, should they go and actively seek out a community? Because uh, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, you could just be making 
you are going to make loads of mistakes and, and the sooner you can identify and correct those, the better. So if you don't, you know, if you're not part of any community and you're just trying to become a famous Instagrammer or whatever it is, and you're just trying whatever feels like the right thing to do or copying other people that you see them doing it. Oh, let me do that. It's going to be tough. You don't know like why you're doing what you're doing. You're just kind of like copying surface level stuff. You probably don't have much of a strategy. You're probably trying things that worked two years ago, but may not work now. So being part of a community of like successful Instagrammers, getting access to that really helps you figure out what works now and what these people would do if they were starting over now. And it's just going to be way more effective than following your own intuition. Joining a course is certainly one way to find a community like that. But as you said, not all online course communities are, are created equal. Is there some other way that you would recommend people find communities? Like, our, I mean, current pandemic aside, would in-person be, you know, would you say, yeah, hey, go to Bali and, you know, go hang out in, you know, one of those co-working spaces? Or how does one, you know, find, if I'm just starting out and I want to be one of these people, where do I find my my tribe, as they say? I think probably the most foolproof way is, is find the people in your niche who are already successful, the people you look up to, the people who you're like, I would love to be at that point someday, and reach out to them and ask what communities they recommend. And they'll probably be able to give you a good answer. They'll probably be able to tell you what communities they're in or what communities their friends started up that they actually think is really good. That, that's probably the, the, the best way of doing it. Of course, you just have to be careful of, of, of who you ask because there's a lot of people out there who are successful, but they may not have the, the best of intentions. But uh, I think it's still better than, than any other method is to go about it that way. Yeah, and maybe, you know, triangulate a few answers. You don't necessarily have to take one person's word as gospel, but, you know, ask around if there's, if it's a YouTuber, that if you're trying to become a YouTuber, you know, maybe ask a handful of, of people doing that that you, um, that you respect. So we've covered... Uh, courses and communities and, and this sort of framework and various ways people can get started making money online. Is there anything we haven't discussed that you think is an important or, or often overlooked step in that journey that, that would kind of smooth that path or just, you know, a little bit of like a ladder up that mountain that we talked about for getting started? One, one thing that I didn't mention, which is, I think is a good way to think about it, is when you're building up that freelance business, or I, I think I haven't really spoken enough about a remote job, that can be just as good, if not better sometimes, as, as freelancing. One of the downsides of freelancing, of course, is that you're constantly looking for clients, um, unless you get lucky enough that you have a repeat client and they're paying, they're, they're funding a lot of your of your lifestyle, which is the situation I found myself in for quite a while where it just one main client and that was enough. But uh, sometimes a remote job can be better because it's usually more long-term, it's usually more steady. But the, the kind of, what you want to get to, I think, if your goal is to build one of these more scalable passive income producing businesses is to get to the point where you're working about 20 hours a week or less and earning enough in that time to pay all your expenses and uh, add to your savings a little bit. So if you could do that, if you could be working 15 to 20 hours a week and you've increased your rate enough or your salary enough doing a part-time remote job, that it's money isn't an issue anymore. You're able to pay your rent, you're able to pay for food, you're able to pay for some fun stuff. So you're not worried about uh, paying the bills next month. And then you also have plenty of time 
on the side to really get one of these uh, higher level businesses off the ground. So thinking of it like that, 15 to 20 hours a week, how can I get to that level with freelancing or a remote job that I'm, I'm, I'm earning enough to fund my lifestyle? And then I have all this free time to invest in one of these more long-term, higher level businesses. Or with that free time and with that money rolling in, you can do the digital nomad thing if you prefer. You know, it's, that's a, a pretty good option too, which is what I did for many years before I really seriously started trying to, to build one of these higher level businesses. So funny when you say that, because I, it was totally not deliberate for me planned out that way, but that's basically exactly what happened to me also is I got to a point where I could work sort of half time and still earn like a full-time salary. If you want to think of it that way, it wasn't a salary, but, and, uh, and then, yeah, I got to a point where I had been trying to build a business and I just maybe a little bit burned out. And, and I had my eye on the whole digital nomad thing for a long time. And I realized, hey, I could just you know work half the number of hours and make the exact same or even a little bit more money because I was investing in this, you know building a business at that time, like hiring sales reps and going to conferences and doing all kinds of stuff like that that costs money, maybe has a benefit in the long run. But yeah, there was an alternative where I was like, or I could just go travel for a while. <laughs> and uh, and make the same amount of money just working half the hours. And, and as you know, that's that's what I did. But I came back to this idea of using that other time to build a business. I think that's I think that's a really good place to, to leave it. I just want to mention before we sign off again, as I said last time, I think your site, eBiz Facts, is without question the best place to go online for anyone who is either getting started or looking to move up to that next level or who just enjoys this topic of, of making money online, building a business, finding a community, taking online courses. I love the, the no bullshit reviews that you do. Um, it's very hard to find sort of straight truth when it comes to this subject. There's just so many scams and like, you know, earn $17,452 working one hour a week from home in your pajamas. Click here. Yeah, <laughs> so cutting through all flag. of that. <laughs> Cutting through all of that noise is difficult. I think you do a great job of that. And uh, and I'll say again that I love your weekly newsletter, which is full of all the type of stuff that we're talking about right now, right? How to get started making money online, you know, following various uh, creators and entrepreneurs' journeys and, you know, what they're doing and how somebody made $300,000 last year and, you know, what was the path that they took and all that kind of great stuff. So keep it coming. And, uh, and for everyone listening, please check it out. EBiz Facts. Thanks very much, Thanks, Neville. Yeah, thanks for joining. 